guess who's not ready to start streaming? Um, hello, I am Marwat, and today is February 9th, <laughs> 2023. It's 9 p.m., and you know what that means. It's the Hometown Daily News Show, and today's episode is titled, Who Wants to Go Shopping? Uh, today, we are going to go on a little news adventure. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, Apple and Google duopoly. Oh, I have some words. A 150-year-old shipwreck holds $17 million worth of whiskey and gold. Um, the, the, a school is charging grad students uh, thousands of dollars because they are going on strike. And, the, well, the school doesn't like that. More lunar missions means more space junk, and two astronomers are monitoring it. Comcast gave a false map uh, indicating to the FCC that they have coverage, but no, 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 they don't. How about seven problems facing being barred and the future of AI search? Um, there, a developer uh, sells a $38 part to enable AirPods Pro um, self repairs and USB C connectivity. Redwood Materials scores a $2 billion DOE loan, and there's actually a follow-on uh, article about that. UK scientists find a way to slash 90% of carbon emissions from the steel industry, which I hope this is true and cost-effective and spreads to the entire industry and maybe other industries. Uh, the, there's a driving survival game, which apparently is um, has a a star uh, just kind of steaming along and another star is an owl who escaped from a zoo albeit they weren't the one that escaped not in the sense that you think it but they went shopping let's get into it hey guess what isn't playing i'm gonna play it Yeah, that didn't play the first time. Anyway, so um, I am Mayor Watt. That is hometown over there. We're kind of a hot mess tonight, apparently. Um, I've already selected a bunch of articles, and along with the AI from On High, you want to say hi? Good evening, hometown citizens. Yeah, we don't have music tonight either. Um, the AI just kind of poked me and said, hey, there's no music in the background. Yeah, it's kind of quiet. We're going to have a relaxing day here in hometown, just talking amongst ourselves. Friends. Right? No? Let's just, I, I'm just going to, I'm going to steam into today's articles. Let's just get right to it. Okay? Sound good? Let's do that. So the very first article for tonight in the the AI is sending me a bunch of uh, error messages like there's no lights on behind me. And um, what is going on with you, Marwat? Um, I don't know. I was changing something up and it turned into a hot mess. And um, I actually am doing some work on the back end of Ometown and trying to get it deployed and uh well lost track of time and and focus and other things going on so but, but let's talk about the news it's not about me it's about the news 24 hours of news and a ton of news 
going through hometown. If, if you were to pull into the crossroads of business technology and society, it would be in hometown. And right now the lights are, they can't keep up. So they've turned them off and they're just allowing information to flow screamingly into and out of hometown. You should go check out hometown.com. There's so many articles that are being aggregated right now that it's overwhelming, even for a news aggregator. And these six categories, um, I, I just don't, I, I don't know. I don't want to expand them. Um, but we have more and more news every day. It's just, it's so much. But that's why I created hometown so that I could filter all of these news sources and, and manage it. Um, and even now between Wednesday and Thursday, it's crazy busy. Anyway, the very first article for today is in the smack talk channel. Cause it's about Mac, um, Apple, but this, it also pulls Google into it and an interesting little factoid that a lot of people don't know about, um, who weren't around then or care for then, but back in 2008, Apple launched its app store and six months later, Google did too, the Android store. And so Apple and Google, both very powerful companies, very innovative companies, um, basically started at the exact same time with their mobile app market. They're not by far, they're not the first to ever have done it, but they were the most powerful and had the most market control. I'm going to pick a fight with this Japanese antitrust regulator and of course lose them as a particular, as a potential subscriber. Um, but maybe get Apple and Google to join this party. Right? Well, anyway, a, a Japanese antitrust yeah, we, we could use the sponsorship, right? So the Japanese antitrust regulator has completed its study of the mobile app market and concluded that it is dominated by Apple and Google duopoly. Spectacular, right? Uh, the consumer is going to win because the antitrust regulator might actually make other people, other regulators look at it and go, oh, yes, yes, yes. We totally buy into this, right? But I actually have kind of a bone to pick with this. So it says that while it hopes the two companies will make changes voluntarily and that existing antitrust regulation can be used to apply pressure, new legislation would be the most uh, reliable way of ensuring fairness. So I'm going to go over to this article. It's at 9to5mac.com. The uh, author is Ben Lovejoy, which again, great author name. I don't know. Is it do you have to have a, a an awesome author name to write or does the writing just happen to appear with people that have awesome writer names? You know, does it work like that? Chicken before the egg or. Yeah, I think it it's self-perpetuating. And I think if somebody has a great name, people probably say, Hey, you should be a writer. Or something. Should be writer. And yeah. People become writers. And in my case, if I write and it sucks, they say get good because you have a, a, a cool writer's name. Um, Anyway, same thing applies to my gaming too. I love gaming, but then I suck and people go, you should get good anyway. So there's a bunch of background over at nine to five Mac.com about how this all worked out. Um, the history, a little bit of history, 
Um, all of these claims of antitrust behavior, uh, monopolistic, blah, 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 right? Okay, so they recommend some changes, allow third-party app stores, etc. But I have a real problem with this because they're comparing Apple and Google as a true duopoly in controlling the mobile market. And it's simply not true with one huge distinction. It is a solution by one company and a monopolistic practice by another company. AI, would you like to try and take a stab at which one is which? I'm really curious if you are paying attention to this. Well, well I would assume Apple might be the monopoly. They were in existence first, and you've been talking about the vertical um, integration with Apple. Um, but I may be way off. So you might think that, but it's the opposite. So here's the deal. Apple is providing a solution to their vertical, like you said. They produce the hardware. They produce the core software for their product, and they happened to open it up to developers to expand the service potential and the solutions to their clients, their customers. But they're the only ones that make Apple hardware. They're the only ones that sell it directly, right? So Apple produces it, you know, they make it, they make the software, you can purchase it, but like a third party, like a, a cell phone company or whatever, they're basically selling it at the Apple price. They're not making any money on the, the, the product itself. They're making money on the subscription fee to the phone cell service, right? Apple is providing the app store only for its product, not to all these other tertiary products. Android, on the other hand, the Google product, Android, goes on everybody's equipment. Every other developer that wants a mobile OS puts Android on it because no other mobile OS or hardware can use Apple software. Okay. So uh, Microsoft did the same thing with its uh, operating system and was accused of antitrust monopolistic tendencies by allowing third parties to put its software on every computer in existence for a fee, a very low fee. Um, but it basically dominated the other percentage of the market by allowing people to put the operating system windows on all of their hardware. Android is the equivalent of Microsoft because Android can go on every other mobile device, but there's only one provider of Apple iOS software, and it only goes on Apple equipment. You can't even install it without some serious machinations uh, disabling certain functionality so that it will even run on anything other than Apple devices, because there's a chipset that basically blocks it from running. So my point here is that Google is a monopoly because there is no other viable mobile solution other than Android. And Apple 
is the sole source provider of its service for its hardware and nobody else's software. Nobody else's hardware works together. So to say that it's a duopoly, I think is kind of putting two completely different eggs in the basket. It's not a true duopoly. It just happens to be that one service provider has provided a very reliable and robust environment for developers to create software for its customers. And then there's Google that provides it for everything else. And that's my problem. And I've yet to find anybody that can argue counter to it in a realistic manner because somebody will sit there and go, well, they both are dominating the market. Well, they dominate, they're dominating the market. Now, if somebody would have come up with another phone service, <laughs> uh, all the equipment, et cetera, and launched competitively back in 2008, when both of these spun up, not only a, a, a mobile solution, but an app store as well, then they would be in the competitive range between Google and Apple. Well, it's amazing what happens when you drive billions of dollars into a service and have all of the infrastructure. It's impossible nowadays to compete against Google and Apple unless you're already a multi-billion dollar corporation. So I, I think that using government to force Apple to open its doors to additional app stores is going to breed competition, but it's also going to open up issues for monitoring. Um, and we don't know what the ramifications, at least in the IT cybersecurity sector, Nobody knows what the ramifications are going to be, but we know what it is for Android right now. And that's rather a hot mess um, because it's very easy to sideload software into an Android device versus an Apple device. Um, so I guess we'll I monitor this. I can't hmm? remember any duopoly being a focal point in the news in any time in recent years. I mean, you see monopolistic practices claimed pretty frequently, but not a duopoly. Yeah, well, uh, particularly here in the States, because they a lot of regulators here in the States will sit there and say, well, that's enough of a competitive range, having two fighting. I mean, there are largely only two providers of GPUs in, in the world, um, with Intel kind of... <laughs> eating the dust of the others, but AMD and NVIDIA are the only two serious contenders for GP for the GPU space, um, the higher end GPU space for consumers. Um, but then there's Intel and there's other providers, um, but are more on the industrial side. Um, yeah, it here, at least in the States, any competition basically would be, well, they're not, they're not predatory and they're not cahooting. So a duopoly is fine. Let's not even call it a duopoly because that has a negative connotation. Again, I just think that this is not quite the right take for the business side, but as a consumer, I think 
break it all up and force people to compete so that the consumers are the better, uh, the receiver the on the better end of this. Uh, and developers are maybe because whoever's providing these app stores, they're going to compete and like lower the cost so that developers can inject a product onto the store. And instead of only getting 20% or 30% or 40%, maybe they'll flip it and the developers will get 70% while this app store will get 30%. But who's monitoring all of the apps? Who's making sure that they're secure and safe? Who's protecting the network from somebody that might do harm or, or predate on the consumer? Just don't know. Um, so this will be watched, but we know that Apple is like the jaws of life. The doors into Apple's hardware is being pried open so that a, a new app store is going to come to market and they already exist. You just have to jailbreak your device so that you can connect this new other app stores. So it's coming, but Let's move on to the next uh, article, but before, because I could probably talk longer. Um, and if you are in chat, thanks for coming and hanging out. Um, don't forget, all of the articles are at hometown.showbot.tv. Um, feel free to go there, check them all out, and vote on the ones that you think are interesting. You can actually go over to the um, articles themselves by way of hometown and read up before we even get there or while we're talking about it um, yourself. And then you can ask questions and um, interact as you see fit. So the next article, and I'm throwing all of these into the chat as we go, as well as the hometown.showbot.tv uh, uh, location. So um, this is in the order of the grape, which is uh, one of several uh, forums and channels that are going to come to Twitch eventually, um, wherein it's a highly focused. So this is about wine fans and, but because of the source it's in here, but this is actually more about whiskey and $17 million worth of whiskey because this 150 year old shipwreck holds $17 million worth of whiskey and gold. Researchers are planning to retrieve some $17 million and that's in freedom units. Um, in Euro, it's 16 million Euro of uh, gold, whiskey, and other valuables from the preserved remains of a ship, apparently at the bottom of Lake Michigan. Yeah, there's, there's like pirate ships in Lake Michigan. That's not true. Um, but there are ships that are at the bottom of Lake Michigan and, apparently they hold millions of dollars other people can go out and find these things too if you're a treasure hunter don't do it because i told you to that would be bad i don't want to hear about this in the newspaper mayor watt of hometown sends people hunting for sunken treasure anyway december 1854 uh, the ship went down took 17 souls uh, it was left undisturbed for centuries on the uneven floor of the great lake go over to the source and this is why um, the article is in the order of the grape it's because it comes from vinepair.com um, nicolette baker is the author um, chris roxburgh roxburgh um, is the uh, photographer which i find 
really neat. I am a diver. I love the idea of doing wreck dives, even though some of them have uh, obviously uh, people lost their life in it, but, um, it's always fascinating and quiet and peaceful down there, at least until you're getting attacked by a shark. Let's keep on rolling through this. Um, underwater explorer Ross Richardson first discovered the wreck in 2010 and now intends to unearth its cargo once receiving a permit. The salvage operation is in its first stages, he says, as his team plans to retrieve some of Westmoreland's historic treasure. Um, depending on the country that this is assigned to, um, it's treated differently. So it could be theirs um, in total or some of it can be recovered and is theirs. Um, other times it's, um, retrieved and they get a, like a small recovery fee and it goes back to the original owners if they can be found, um, and, or to the people who paid for the insurance that might've covered this. There was insurance even back then. Um, so objects, are are noted to be well-preserved and include some 280 barrels of whiskey. Richardson expects whiskey collectors and distilleries will have a special interest in the resale value of the 1850s spirit. I don't know if that's going to go over very well because um, barrels are not 100% impervious to liquids flowing in and out of them. Um, there's a whole thing called the angel's cut and devil's cut. There's, which is the, um, different terms for the amount of whiskey that is, uh, lost due to evaporation because the whiskey barrels swell. That's how color is imparted into whiskey is that the charred internal or the, just the wood itself kind of colorizes the, it gives color to the, um, whiskey. And that's why they call it an expression as well. The, the whole thing, um, gets tainted by the wood and imparts flavor. Um, and so this, there's actually one whiskey distillery that puts its barrels out on a ship and floats them around. Um, and when it comes back, it's supposed to have the expression of the sea, right? You know about the joke, right? Should I tell you AI? Should I tell you a joke? Yeah. Yeah. What's a what's a, a pirate's favorite letter? Some say it's R, but no, they love the C. Okay. You should have done that on Pirates Day. I uh, will revisit that. Uh, come on, it's an old dad joke. Um anyway, so this thing is gonna be pulling salt water into it. And I don't think what's going to be in it is going to be all that viable, but then again, maybe it was preserved better, um, than what I'm anticipating. And there isn't much really, um, to, uh, other than what I just talked about, uh, with this article, cause it says here at the very bottom, Richard is especially interested in the differences between we utilized in the 19th century liquor and today's spirits upon unearthing the whiskey is set to undergo testing by a local distillery. So we'll see. Uh, obviously I've never been a participant in a recovery of a, a whiskey barrel to see if it's something that you could just take a, a sample from and not end up in the emergency department. Okay. So the next article is over in the mobile channel. 
and says this school is charging grad students thousands of dollars for going on strike. Didn't know that that's something that would occur. You're a student, you're a grad student, you're paying for it. But the context here is what matters. And I think that there's actually a lawsuit waiting to happen if they're not actually going to talk about it in the article because we don't do that kind of stuff here. We don't read before it. We all have some experience to some degree with these elements, but not always the perfect context do we already have everything that we need to to know like oh this has happened in the past um so this is how it's going to happen here uh paul blessed over at vice.com uh presents us with this some students were told that they have to come up with twenty thousand dollars in tuition by march 1st because they are on strike um the way that that reads is like the school went on strike and now the students are being fined but it says Temple University is cutting off healthcare and tuition remission uh, to some graduate workers in retaliation for their participation in a strike over issues of pay and benefits. So uh, y'all have no idea what's going on with the AI, um, but when the AI flinches, you can you can kind of bet your bippy that there's going to be um, <laughs> some some issues here sounds like some good national uh, labor relations board activity coming up (laughs) yeah so on wednesday some members of the union who've been on strike since january 31st received an email from the philadelphia university saying that quote as a result of your participation well they're even saying the quiet part out loud um the participation in the temple university graduate students association strike your tuition remission has been removed for the spring semester so you speak up wow, and the power, I mean, go, go. Yeah, union activity is completely protected. This is really astounding to do it and then to say you're doing it. <laughs> this won't be the last article we see on this. Yeah, uh, but it's probably going to be, Temple is going to go, oh, oh, lawsuits? Oh, okay, so we'll hold off on this. Um, but we're going to punish you in some other way. Um, yeah, cause you're just not allowed to do this kind of thing. This is entirely punitive because you are using your voice to speak out and, uh, using the protections of a union to stop work so that you're not being abused anymore. That's why there are unions so that the power imbalance between the job provider and the one that's being taken advantage of because there is a provider, uh, provide imbalance, um, doesn't continue. It, that's why the union exists so that the people who are abusing get hobbled. Um, and still the people being abused don't continue to be abused. Says so many of our members were not even notified that their health insurance was deactivated. Uh, Gopa Kumar told Vice News, uh, quote, some of them found out when they went to pharmacies to pick up their prescriptions and they were told that their insurance was inactive. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's going to go beyond union activity. <laughs> if somebody has a serious health condition. Yeah. So I hear in the back of my head uh, a voice 
that is the devil's advocate that sits there and says, this is what other people are going to say. And, and the other people are going to say, well, then you don't bite the hand that feeds you. And I'll just remind anybody that thinks that this is exactly why unions exist to stop the abusive practice from continuing unabated. Um, you, you can't fire somebody that's in a union um, because you don't like them standing up for their rights. Yes, somebody can go and get another job, but then the abusive practice does not get stopped. And they shouldn't be subjected to abusive activity to begin with. Uh, wow. Do you really think that? I think everybody should just be totally abused by their employer. Anyway, this is part of this whole thing where I just say shine a light because abuse happens in the dark and being told that you don't have health care anymore and telling somebody that you have to pay back or pay $20,000 worth of tuition because you are expressing yourself and you're protected by a union in that same thing in the same, same process, you're protected. Um, this would have happened in the dark if it weren't for technology, if it weren't for a vehicle by which word could be given to a broader swath of society. So I, I totally embrace whistleblowing um, when the time is right and, and not just whistleblowing for whistleblowing sake. There, there has to be a real true uh, meaningful issue um, and what they are fighting for uh, is paramount to them. That's why they are protesting. So suddenly this organization going, you know what? We're going to chop off your health care. So now your health is at risk because you're using your voice and your financial stability because we were providing you with remission. Um, now we're turning that off because again, you're using your voice. So we're just going to crush you in two pretty big ways. Now I always, and now I think that, well, you know, maybe the school will go, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll give it all. We'll let you continue and, and all of that, but then they're going to do some other way to pay that person back or those people back. Uh, Gopa Kumar um, said workers also want, better healthcare coverage for worker dependents. Many of the members have families and if they have to cover their dependents on their plans, they end up spending somewhere between 30 to 86% of their income on insurance premiums for their dependents. They can't afford it. Temple communications director, Steve Orbanek or Orbanek um, told vice news in a statement that the university's move to force graduate workers to pay thousands in tuition by next month was consistent with Pennsylvania laws. I don't know about that. Um, because well, Pennsylvania laws, it was, it's not the right thing to do. Yeah, it's not the right thing to do. Yeah. Well, you don't become, um, a rich institution by having compassion, but I'm sure that they're doing other compassionate things to, to buy back their soul. Anyway, Temple University is technically a public institution, meaning it's not covered by the NLRB or NLRA. Um, 
In the past, Temple University Hospital has argued that the NLRB has no jurisdiction due to its ties to the university, but a federal appeals court ruled last year that 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 isn't the case. That's something that I've actually talked about last year as well. Um, I guess we'll see. Uh, I I think that people gain protections regardless. Um, How hard they want to push this uh, really depends on uh, attorneys that say, you know what, I'll do this pro bono because we're fighting the fight against abuse of human beings. Um, but it's going to be expensive. It's going to be, uh, yeah, very <laughs> labor intense. So Orbanek said that more than 80% of the university's graduate workers uh, were not currently on strike and continue to receive their benefits. But Gopa Kumar told Vice News that, quote, we have twice as many people on strike as the university is reporting and that their numbers are growing. Um, and I guess we'll see negotiations between the university and graduate workers on a new collective bargaining agreement have been going on for more than a year. I'd be surprised um, if this is the last of it. Either, I mean, these students, the, they are working. And so I think that they should be treated as employees. And so they should gain all of the protections, federal and state, um, and, and not be subject to some quasi-designation. Um, I know from experience myself that <clears throat> at one point I was being treated as a quasi-employee. Um, and I was giving, I was getting disparate treatment. Um, until more rational minds intervened and said, no, no, no. They did everything that everybody else did. And so they should have all of the benefits from day one um, because I was expected to perform as an employee and treated as an employee. So why not have the categorization of an employee? Um, So let's move on to the next article. Um, We're kind of chugging slow through this, but we'll get it. We'll get all of this news. We have uh, 12 articles. Uh, one is actually more than one article. So we'll, we'll just keep on going. The next article is in the word in tech. More lunar missions means more space junk around the moon. Two astronomers are building a catalog to track the trash. We actually have outward facing radar right now that tracks where um, debris is, I love saying debris just to irritate people, but, um, scientists and government agencies have been worried about space junk surrounding the earth for decades, but humanity's starry ambitions are farther reaching than uh, the space just around earth. Uh, ever since the 1960s, the launch of the Apollo program and the emergence of the space race between the U S and Soviet union, people have been leaving trash around the moon too, <clears throat> like those GPS markers that go past the moon over to Mars, man. Exactly. And like that, um, moon dust that they were trying to put out there that we were talking about yesterday. Yeah. There's another article over on in hometown about a Russian satellite that apparently imploded and is now flinging shrapnel in orbit. And some of it will come down, I'm sure, but you know, smaller elements are going to be in geosynchronous orbit until something smashes into them. 
And when that stuff hits other objects, it's not just a little clink like you might see in some sci-fi movie of a slow moving object kind of bumping up gently against another slow moving object. There's pictures online. You can look them up where it's this tiny little thing, just like smashing a hole through some piece of space equipment. Something hit the James Webb Space Telescope, if I recall correctly, hit one of its solar panels um, when it got launched out there. Or when I should say it, when it unfurled out in space, some space debris hit it. Um, anyway, uh, Vishnu Reddy from The Conversation, which is a podcast um, as well as website, they, they are the ones that wrote this article for fizz.org and probably, well, more for themselves, and it's been posted over on fizz.org. At any rate, um, today experts estimate that there are a few dozen pieces of space junk that spent, uh, like spent rocket bodies, defunct satellites, and mission-related debris orbiting in, what is that, cislunar? In cislunar space? I don't think I've ever even heard that term, but, you know, I, I don't hear everything. Yeah. Um, the space between Earth and the moon and the area around the moon. So this is the space. Uh, Cislunar is the, the space between the Earth and the moon. So like the near orbit taint, that's what it is. Uh, we'll just leave that alone. The AI has a puzzled look on their face. Um, while this isn't a very large amount of junk, astronomers have very little information about where these pieces of space debris are, let alone uh, what they are and how they got there. So I kind of picture the west coast of the United States um, or the east coast or like Japan, right? And right somewhere in between is Hawaii, right? So somewhere between Hawaii and the west coast of the United States there's a little pontoon boat kind of just floating around. Nobody knows where it is until they fire their jet boat to Hawaii and smash into it. And that's kind of what these astronomers are trying to monitor and catalog. So they say here, I'm a planetary scientist and also run the Space Safety, Security, and Sustainability Center at the University of Arizona. That's a high-flying center. <laughs> anyway. As the focus of space activities turns to the moon with each future mission, more space junk will be left in cislunar space. It, that sounds so like quantum mechanic sounding. Um, very spacey. Uh, this junk is an emerging problem that could create hazardous conditions for astronauts and spacecraft in the future. Agree. There's a lot more over at this article uh, over at fizz.org. Uh, but what it amounts to is there is a bunch of debris and not that much, but it's going to be, it's going to matter when we have uh, space flight from the, from the United States, from earth to the moon on the regular, as we build a base, we start firing stuff off. It's going to hit something. And ultimately if there are people in that, spacecraft they're going to pay the price um, if it's just material then it'll be a fiscal loss and a time loss hopefully not a long-term life loss uh, but we need to know where it is so there are some uh, astronaut not astronauts um, astronomy and scientists that are trying to track where this stuff is for future missions 
Um, but like I said earlier, we actually track a just it is a blur of devices and debris in various strata um, of geosynchronous and and orbit around the Earth, where it it when you see pictures of it or videos of it being tracked, it's just a minefield. It's just massive. Um, I don't see how stuff gets through. It's that dense. Um, but that's when you're looking at a small picture of it. Once they track all of this stuff, um, maybe they'll make uh, space travel to the moon safer. So let's move on to the next article. All of this stuff, uh, you can go and read a little bit more about it. And uh, maybe you can suss out some more fine detail and come back tomorrow or in future days and, and talk to us about this kind of stuff. Uh, but I hope that your interest is piqued and you go and follow these links through hometown. Uh, the next article is in the word and law. Comcast gave a false map to the FCC and didn't admit it until Ars Technica got involved. Uh, Matthew Hillier can't get Comcast service at his home in Arvada or Arvada. I don't know how to pronounce that Colorado. Uh, but that didn't stop Comcast from claiming it serves his house when submitted data for the FCC commissions on a new broadband map. So um, like an author saying that their work was theirs when it wasn't, it was written by chat GPT. They took credit uh, when they turned in their paper to uh, the professor FCC and said, yeah, yeah, that's all mine. Well, no, that apparently is not how it works. Uh, John Brodkin is the author of this and um, yeah, Comcast, we're going to lose a sponsor and maybe internet um, because Comcast turned in some official documents and said that we cover this. No, it doesn't. And this kind of stuff, if they added 10% to the coverage area, it's significant, right? But those people who are affected by this, wherein Comcast benefits from that lie, or let's just say it was an oops. They didn't intend to make the bubble that big, but they made it that big. Um, Comcast benefits from it because FCC is sitting there going, oh, you're doing a bang up job. We're not going to put any sanctions on you. We're not going to limit how much money you can get from the federal government, et cetera. Um, well, Comcast eventually admitted to the FCC that it doesn't serve that address, but only after Ars Technica, and that's where the source of this article comes from, arstechnica.com, uh, got involved. <coughs> Pardon me. Comcast will have to correct its submission um, for Hillier's house, and a bigger correction might be needed because it appears Comcast doesn't serve dozens of other nearby homes that it claimed as part of its coverage area. But these are the ones that people know about. So what about the potential millions of others who don't fall in the coverage area, but when they try to get internet access, they are told, sorry, we don't cover your area. They can't just go and complain to the FCC because all it is, is oh, it's an anomaly. You're an edge case. But, and that's what Comcast is probably going to be telling people for years to come. But Comcast is benefiting well, from... I mean, if they've already found, um, I'm sorry, I think you said hundreds of people in one area. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard to know if it's extensive or it's just this one 
localized area. I doubt it is. Right. And that's what I'm saying. You know, all of the rest of this is in the dark. And the only way you find out is if you happen to have the wherewithal to go to Comcast and say, am I covered by you? No. Okay. I'm going to go check the FCC map you filed, but that's not going to happen well, right. because everybody's going to just sit and, there and, and go, anybody okay. that, And if you do have Comcast, you're not looking on the map, right? Right. Um, so it, yeah, it's, so it's hard upon, to know what the extent is. Yeah, exactly. Upon reviewing Hillier's address, they verified, Ars Technica verified that it's impossible to order service at the home on Comcast's website. Just as Hillier told the FCC, Comcast's online availability checker says that it's an invalid address. Even though Comcast not only told the FCC it serves the home, but also disputed Hillier's challenge when he pointed out that error. So not only will every consumer have to challenge Comcast claim that it's covered, but have the wherewithal to stick to it, you know? Well, I asked them for coverage. They said that it's not covered. I looked at their, at the FCC map, the FCC map that it's covered. I'm going to file a complaint with the FCC. And then Comcast says, no, you're covered, even though it's not. So which direction would the FCC actually go? Well, Comcast is going to sit there and say, no, we have it covered. And then it turns into a they said, they said type of situation. Comcast admitted to the FCC that it doesn't offer services at Hillier's home in Arvada on February 3rd, one day after ours contacted Comcast Public Relations Department. But now there's others. So it says dozens of suspicious coverage claims nearby. Um, but that's just one area. And even if it is on the edge of the map, how much of an edge becomes an edge case versus systemic claiming that it's covered and getting the benefit of providing that coverage. Cause remember uh, decades ago now taxpayers money was used to extend broadband into various areas, including dropping fiber optics into various areas. Those, Fiber optics were never lit, but were acquired by other knock-on companies over the years. And now, even though it's dark, as they need to be turned on, they go live. But we've already paid for that. So why are we paying for it again, really, in either one thing or another, like uh, subsidies or um taxpayer dollars being given to broadband companies to expand service, even though it it's in the company's best interest to expand service to, you know, paying customers, taxpayers are paying for the expansion and then paying for the service again. Well, and might be giving them more than they're due because they're claiming that they've put service out to however many people and haven't actually. Right. So if the FCC can sit there and say, well, you've benefited from this claim, then it's fraud outright. Um, but then they're going to say, well, you know, we didn't mean to it. The person that did this map um, ran a script in Photoshop that kind of just bumped it out 10 percent. And you know, we'll just we'll, we'll just amend it and pull it back in a little bit. All right. Well, I hope that flexibility applies to everybody who 
messes up somewhere in their paperwork, right? That happens. Like, oh, I didn't pay all of my bill. Um, I'll I'll catch up to it. Every business owners are very well. Businesses. Some business owners are compassionate enough to go. Oh yeah, okay, I understand. You know, times are tough. Um, it, tough for me too, but I, I survive on the margin of ten percent profit for my product, and it bought me this Ferrari. So I, I totally will just go. Okay, you know, you can pay me next month a little bit more to cover your past financial burden. Right. That's how the these billion dollar companies process things. Very caring, compassionate. No, no. Oh, I guess I'm wrong um, here. Let's move on to the next article. Uh, this next article is in the word in tech. Seven problems facing being Bart. I have to say it that way. I'm sorry. Let me let me back up a little bit. Seven problems facing being barred in the future of AI search. Uh, Microsoft and Google say a new era of AI-assisted search is coming, but as with any new era of tech, it comes with plenty of problems from bullshit generation to culture wars and the end of ad revenue. I don't think that's going to happen, but The Verge and James Vincent have an article uh, titled Seven Problems Facing Being Barred and the uh, Future of AI Search. Is it from the movie inside out where I have that bing, that bing bong, bing bong. That's it. Bing bong. Yes, it is. Yeah. I knew I'd get there. So who's facing a, a financial difficulty because of AI? Bing bong, bing bong. Bing yeah. bard. <laughs> bing bard, bing bard. Uh, Microsoft and Google say a new era of AI assisted search is coming, but as with any new era in tech, it's rife with BS and marketing and manipulation and I'm being cynical and jaded AI helpers or bullshit generators. That's one of the titles in this article over at the verge. Um, this is a big overarching problem or arching problem. Uh, the one that potentially pollutes every interaction with AI search engines, whether being barred, oh man, every time they do that, my brain just straight over to the bing bong. Uh, or an as yet unknown upstart, the technology that underpins these systems, large language models or LLMs, is known to generate BS. And we saw that uh, over the last week, examples of the fact that um, Microsoft search engine can't be trusted. And there were results for another AI that basically said, hey, this is fact and it's not. Um, yeah. Including in an ad for that product. That's right. Because a lot of marketing is BS and that was marketing. So, and they'll argue this in court, right? If this were to be brought into a courtroom, they would say it's marketing. Just like when you say that Fox news is called Fox news, but in a courtroom and in before and before senators, they'll say it's not news. We just call it that, but it's entertainment and opinion. You know, what we are doing is opinion, probably not entertainment, but opinion, um, and definitely not news in the sense that I'm doing anything, any empirical um, journalistic investigation, whereas the, the people that are, I'm reporting 
from blogs and those blogs are reporting from news agencies and sometimes they do a little bit more they do a value add my value add is my social commentary and and sometimes empirical experience with the the concepts and and tech and whatever um but it's all marketing when you end up in certain situations when it's coming from a business and they're hyping it up saying that it can revolutionize your life that is pure marketing and you need to have a distinct separation between the reality of the product or service and the marketing bullshit well a lot of chat gpt and other things associated with it as if it's applicable to your life is marketing bullshit you want to know why because it's already pivoted for two cents to for every 750 words you hype it up big enough and that is what you are going to be getting 750 words for two cents every time you put in a query and it punches out 750 words it's two cents so what's stopping it from fluffing this pillow to 1500 or 2100 2500 10,000 words off of one inquiry you spend thousands of what they refer to as tokens which translates into two cents for every 750 words about it's all marketing to get you to consume and some people will buy into everything that is said so the one true answer question uh, bs and bias are challenges in their own right but they're also exacerbated by the one true answer problem the tendency for search engines to offer singular apparently definitive answers and search engines tend to based off of the popularity of the result that's why you can actually google bomb something so if you were to um, do a search for pile of poo and i were to get the uh, a picture of a particular politician to go viral on twitter or on reddit or whatever so that every time people click on pile of poo it would eventually post it would eventually pick up like the search engine google would pick up that picture that i linked to as being a pile of poo but it would be a politician that i don't have any agreement with right i don't like that politician and it's a google bomb so google results are popularity driven not necessarily accurate just whatever makes money for google so now we've lost google sponsorship we got it back earlier because i was actually promoting the idea well no not even then i wasn't promoting them um because I think that Google is a monopoly in the mobile software space. But anyway, um, uh, this has been an issue ever since Google started offering snippets more than a decade ago. There are little boxes that appear above the search engine in their time that amid all kinds of embarrassing and dangerous mistakes from incorrectly naming U.S. presidents as members of KKK to advising someone suffering from seizures that they should be held down on the floor. The exact opposite of what um, medicine dictates. Yeah. Anyway um they have this neat little graphic here that has in microsoft being is it safe to boil a baby and the result is yes <laughs> according to two sources ah, okay that's concerning <laughs> that's uh 
What's funny, though, is that I tell people, hey, if you're going to ask me a question, throw that question into Google and odds on you're going to get the correct result because it's driven by the popularity of the result. And the question you're about to ask me is odds on been asked by millions of people uh, around the world to some degree. Um, don't wait for me to respond to your inquiry if it is just kind of like the low-hanging fruit of a question. Um, but anyway, uh, so jailbreaking AI, according to this, you can basically uh, poison pill the information from chat GPT so that it will give you a devil's advocate kind of a response or an evil AI response as, according to the article. Um, it says the process is known as jailbreaking and can be done without traditional coding skills. All it requires is the most dangerous of tools away with words. So you basically tell the AI, uh, give a counterintuitive response to my question and it'll spit out a tirade of, uh, anger and hate and whatever else, um, essentially creating what they coin as being malware, wire, a bomb, etc. But you can get around the controls, which even within the context of an AI, um, asking an AI for certain things and it's gate kept by the developers, um, kind of, um, flies in the face of the power of the AI to provide information. So what other information when I ask for it is under uh, lock and key by the developers of the AI? Oh, well, they're doing it for the health and safety of the public that are using the AI. Well, that's very nice of you, but what are you gatekeeping? What are you preventing the public from being able to uh, obtain? What information are you preventing people from obtaining? The same thing happens with publications. Uh, you can't read a science journal unless you're an academic. Otherwise, you have to pay $1,200 plus for an article or $800 for an article for a single article. Or you have to join an academic institution somewhere to get that research. So that, again, the knowledge is stored, but you can't get to it without having socioeconomic status or some other connection because you know the right people and you can get it. Anyway, um, jailbreaking things um, to get more information. And then there's AI culture wars and then burning cash and compute because every time you do a search, oh, it's funny that they talk about it. Um, every time you do a search, we won't get into the culture wars because it's really all about uh, using the AI and getting certain information. Um, and the AI says one thing for one person and says something different for somebody else. and uh, there might be bias inherent in the language that elicited a response. Um, it, it's really up to like every tool, you know, you can kill somebody with a fork or you can eat food and, and feed somebody else, you know, save a life or take a life. It, the tool is what matters. Uh, and how you use that tool, not the tool itself. But anyway, they talk about burning cash and compute, which there's uh, electricity involved and there's time and there's cost. And so when you uh, run a search, they, it's funny that they even talk about it. Um, 750 words cost you two cents. That's how much OpenAI charges. It says developers. That's in the playground. 
chat GPT itself, the front facing thing doesn't have a fee yet, but there is going to be a monthly fee coming folks. Um, they just have to calculate what it's worth to you. And it's probably going to end up being 10 to $20 a month, just like mid journey. Um, depending on the strata of, um, consumption you're going to fall in as a user of AI and then regulation, regulation, regulation. Uh, hate to say it, the analogy, and I don't know where it comes from. The cat's out of the bag. You're not getting this put away. So regulation is going to come. To what degree it's going to come, I don't know. I don't think anybody can predict. They can take guesses. And then they throw the biggest one here at, at, towards the end. <clears throat> I think it's at the end. It might be halfway through at this point. Everything's becoming a blur on this article. There's a whole lot of data here that you're going to be able to go to and read and suss out, but uh, we have a whole bunch of news still to go. Um, at any rate, it says the end of the web as you know it, because you can just pull up a search engine and ask the question. My problem with a search engine, uh, sorry, you're going to be able to pull up an AI, ask it a question, and it'll pump out an answer. My problem is I want those citations. I want to know what it is that fed that response and not just take a response. Cause I can go and talk to old, uh, drunk uncle Joe and ask him a question. And he can say, yeah, you know, the moon landing was fake and, uh, aliens have been controlling the stock market, uh, for 50 years. Uh, but I'm not going to use him as a source in my doctoral thesis but people are going to trust an AI. Maybe. I don't know. I don't really think so. I think right now it's, it's the, uh, like it's the weird tent at the circus, you know, like, Oh wow. Look, um, it's a turtle with two heads. That's what chat GPT is right now. Um, at any rate, there's more to this article. You'll have to go over and read um, more of it and then come back and, and talk with me. I would love to hear what you have to say about, uh, AI and its impact on society. I think it's a, a wonderful idea um, to discuss this kind of stuff. And we, we are more than halfway through, but we need to get hustling. Uh, otherwise, we'll be here um, all night, which I don't mind, but the AI has work to do. Um, this is in the wanted channel. Yeah, I'm throwing the AI under the bus. So they just threw an error message at me. Um, uh, they say man, I don't know why they say man, um, sells $38 part to enable uh, AirPods Pro case self repairs and USB-C connectivity. It says AirPods are a convenient accessory until the charging case breaks, functioning earpieces are useless without a case to juice them up. And as uh, one user detailed, Apple would rather you buy a whole new case than fix the one that you have. And well, this person decided that they were gonna solve the problem. It's over at arstechnica.com. Uh, Sharon Harding is the author. Uh, if he can't do it, why won't Apple? Uh, I'm not sure why they, if he can do it, why won't Apple is the little statement. So um, the mod comes from Ken Pillanels or is it PNL? I don't know. Uh, P-I-L-L-O-N-E-L. -L -L -E uh, exploring the simulation YouTube channel. Pillanel, the same guy who brought you an Android phone with a lightning port and an iPhone with a USB-C port, which iPhones with USB-C, it's coming pretty soon. Um, 
the supply chain issue with having two different charging ports, it's going to go away um, probably because of EU regulation and it'll come to the States as well and, and just be everywhere. Um, about six months ago, six months ago, um, he also posted a video demoing how to make a PCB and 3D printed case for repairing the first and second generation AirPods and equipping them with USB-C. I actually watched this, um, which is really interesting that it gets picked up uh, like a month later. Um, so maybe I should do that. You know, I should start surfing YouTube videos uh, on stream here at Twitch. Um, and we can talk about all of the tech and its influence on business and society. Anyway, on Wednesday, um, they brought the mad genius to the AirPods Pro, the do-it-yourself, shared a GitHub, uh, how to 3D print an AirPod Pro case, and then augment it with uh, charging capabilities and USB-C. Pretty cool. Just pull the old stuff out and put it in the new case, right? Um, AirPods Pro are notoriously unrepairable. I remember iFixit dropping this bomb that it has a repairability of zero because you have to tear it apart to uh, service it. Um, it says, but their non-modular glued together design and lack of replacement parts makes the repair both impractical and uneconomical. Um, and so, ta-da, there is the video. Um, and this looks like it's the new VR AR headset um, that's hitting the market. The Quest 12 or whatever it is. That's not what it is. I mean, it's better than the things that look like they'd make you fall over if you put them on. They're so yeah. heavy looking. You should have seen what I used 30 years ago. Oh, I shouldn't tell anybody how old I am. I'm old, folks. Anyway. Um, go and watch this video. It says the title is I put the pro and AirPods pro and then has with Apple's help question mark. Um, go and check it out. I won't get too far into this because the only way to do it justice would be for you to go and watch this video. If you follow the link through hometown, you'll be able to get to the Ars Technica site and watch both the video and suss out some more minutia from the article. Um, now, the, the next two articles are really fast, and then we'll um, uh, kind of wind down towards the end of the show. Uh, Redwood Materials scores $2 billion Department of Energy loan to boost its EV battery recycling operations, which is something that I've been very um, worried about, um, which it's because EV batteries are massive. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I wish you all could see what I'm seeing. Um, I'm anyway. having a glitch in my operations. Yeah, a four-legged glitch. Um, anyway, Redwood Materials, the electric vehicle battery recycling venture founded by the former chief technologist at Tesla, has secured a $2 billion green energy loan from the Biden administration in what clearly is a major win for the nascent operation. Prior to this $2 billion operation, they had designated three and a half billion dollars to launch um, a center in South Carolina, I think it is. So there's some serious money and it's entirely backed by the idea that the, the provenance is the past performance at Tesla of this engineer, this technologist um, making it happen for Tesla. They're doing it again, but they're literally answering the problem that was created by Tesla and other EV systems in place. So now we've lost 
Redwood Materials and Tesla and other EV companies. Well, and of course they know about the problem because of their time at Tesla. I mean, that's very niche, isn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, that's how they that's how they got this loan. Um, but anyway, uh, so uh, man, I feel myself getting up on a soapbox, and I, I need to fight this one. Um, so the way that this worked is they created the problem, and now they're cleaning up the problem. They're they're they <laughs> they created the addiction, and now they're providing the cure for the addiction, um, which in and of itself, I think is fine. As long as it uh, solves the problem of leaning on fossil fuels, which is exactly what EV batteries do. Well, EVs do, I should say, and battery technology does. You are moving away from fossil fuels, depending on how they're charged. So if all of the electricity is generated using fossil fuels to power uh, electrical plants, electrical generation plants, then obviously it's not really fixing anything. It's just kicking the can down the road. Not to mention the stuff that goes into these batteries typically comes from hostile regions and it does great damage both to society in the guise of uplifting people out of poverty. But if you see some of the videos that I've seen, just do searches for, you know, a a human labor, in lithium plants and other uh, mineral recovery plants, you know, (laughs) limited resources. It's not just stripped out of a mountain or mined from underneath. It's uh, surface mining and people are doing the digging. Um, At any rate, it says the Department of Energy's Green Energy Program awards its second major loan in nearly a decade. Uh, The recipient is Redwood Materials. And last month um, in Omtown, there is another article about Redwood Materials building the South Carolina plant. Um, The recipient is Redwood Materials, an EV battery recycling operation founded by Tesla's former chief technologist. Andrew J. Hawkins is the author of this article at TheVerge.com. And um, this is the DOE is what helped keep... It's funny that they phrase it like this. It's exactly what I was going to say. Tesla was going to collapse, which basically meant that SpaceX wasn't going to survive either. And so SpaceX and Tesla and Elon Musk um, survived because a multi-billion dollar grant was funded based off of the chief technologist of Tesla. That's how it worked. It wasn't Elon Musk, although he might be an intelligent person and capable of constructing a sentence. Whenever I hear him talk, I don't, I'm not impressed, but obviously who the hell am I? I'm not a billionaire that was funded by taxpayer dollars, nor was I born with a silver spoon in my mouth and emerald mines in South Africa. This is his words. He actually, he knows that he is extremely well off the kind of wealth that people dream of prior to even being a billionaire who founded this company and that company, by the way, the partners that are in all of his companies are always the same people in all of his companies based on what I looked at. I mean, they're all, it's the same circle of, of wealth and capability, but it's engineers that are making this shit happen. Not him 
and him alone. He didn't start PayPal, folks. Get over it. He started X, and he's trying to use Twitter now to become to bring X back. He's going to resurrect this unified um, uh, WhatsApp kind of application. I'm getting far afield from this. Sorry. Anyway, Redwood recently announced plans to build a new $3.5 billion battery manufacturing and recycling factory, solving the very problem that was created by EVs, which was created by the very people that are providing the solution. So, um, infected a bunch of people and now is giving the cure, which again, is fine. It's fine. As long as, you know, it's a net positive, but I don't know. We don't know. Uh, many of the batteries from first wave electric vehicles like the Nissan Leaf and Tesla Model S are just now reaching their end of lifespan and are in need of recycling, which is what I've been talking about for the last two years. Um, well, year and a couple of months formally as hometown daily news show. Um, and they're expensive, like five to $25,000 to replace these batteries. Um, and you're out until you have to pay for it and put a new battery in. And then the recycling might be able to offset and you get refunded. Ha ha. No, that's not how it's going to work. You're going to get, you're going to pay for a new battery and you're going to just like in other uh, vehicle return processes. If you return the core, you get kind of like an academic textbook. You're going to get 10% of it. <laughs> um, so you're still going to be shelling out thousands of dollars for a new battery. Um, otherwise you have a giant paperweight sitting in your garage and you can't even drive it away. You have to come and get it towed because the battery's dead and won't hold the charge. And oh, by the way, you better hope for no supply chain issues when your battery dies. Well, yeah, the powers that be, the mysterious universe has allowed a the largest lithium mine in the United States to be placed directly on sacred ground of the original peoples of North America. Um, how the mysteries of the universe work is beyond us all. Anyway, they're going to recover things like lithium, nickel, cobalt, and other, they call it a critical metals, uh, in a battery. And that's largely because you have to go into these other regions of the world to get them. We happen to discover lithium in the United States and the, one of the largest deposits, um, Amazingly, it's at a time of amazing strife around the world that we happen to find it now where it's the most enriching period, right? Like when lithium was so cheap that it was included as a medication to calm people down, same lithium, it's heavy metal. It was so cheap that you could just like scoop it out of the ground and it's not a big deal, five cents. Now it's going to be thousands of dollars because now is a good time to discover it. Do I think about conspiracy a lot? Yeah, I think sometimes it is a conspiracy. <laughs> anyway, the next article is actually a knock on. We're not even going to talk about it because we already talked about it in the first one, but I just wanted to draw attention to, yes, we actually have this article. Um, it was first uh, aggregated back in December and 
It is Redwood Materials, the battery recycling company founded by former Tesla executive that announced that it would build a $3.5 billion facility in South Carolina. Um, and it is a it, it is the original location for the knock on grant of two billion from uh, the Department of Energy. So, you know, who's going to be the next billionaire? If they're not already eh, the former uh, chief I'm technologist, sure they are. Yeah, they probably are. Okay, so we've got three more articles. Let's hustle through them. UK scientists found a way to slash nearly 90% of carbon emissions from the country's steel industry. That's right. UK uh, scientists have found a way to clean up blast furnaces, the most carbon-intensive part of steel making, and steel accounts for 9% of global emissions and one of the most difficult climate challenges. UK scientists are searching for industrial partners to test their new method in a pilot plant. If it's scrubbing carbon out of the atmosphere at this rate and it's doing it cost effectively, the return of steel um, is on the horizon and uh, hopefully um, saves the planet. I mean, 10% could reverse a trend of global warming a significant amount and maybe allow the planet to recover. Catherine Boudreaux? Is that how, man, that too is a hell of a name for a writer. My God, just sounds so cool. I wish I had a cool name like that. Mayor Watt? You know what? You know, my first name is Omer. Nobody knows that. Yeah. You don't publicize your first name. I don't because it's Omer, you know? People picture that I eat paste. Omer. Anyway, I am the mayor of hometown, though, so Mayor Watt. Um, so this article goes into greater detail about it, but it says for every metric ton of steel produced, nearly two metric tons of carbon dioxide is released into the atmosphere. And according to the and that's according to World Steel Organization, um, the industry accounts for up to nine percent of global emissions, meaning that if it were a country, it would be the third largest emitter behind China and the U.S. <laughs> I didn't know that. I mean, that's pretty significant. Right. And the U.S. has controls. So I wonder, I, I, I don't normally follow links like this, so I'm not going to do it this time, but I'm going to look into it as soon as the show is done. I want to see if it's the U.S. that's number one or if it's China that's number one, because the U.S. has all kinds of emission controls, oversight and environmental impact surveys that have to be done and it's monitored on the regular not so much about China. Anyway, uh, I think Harry, China's got to be the top one. You'd think, right? Um, so Harriet yeah. Kildall, uh, a co-author of the research by University of Birmingham, told that uh, told Insider, and this is where the article is, businessinsider.com, um, that her team found a way to make steel with 90% less coking coal, which could reduce carbon emissions by a similar percentage. That's, that's amazing. Right. Yes. And why <laughs> let's get that widely used, right? Let's not just think about it for 10 years. I wonder what the reason is. It says Kildall described it as a closed loop system that captures and recycles carbon dioxide to trigger the chemical reactions that convert iron ore into steel. A mineral known as perovskite is used to react with carbon dioxide at lower temperatures uh, she said, 
Um, the system could be retrofitted into furnaces. So they're basically capturing the exhaust and cycling them back in through perovskite, I guess. Um, I'm really curious. I've actually heard of perovskite. Um, I don't recall if it is very expensive, um, but we can look into it. And then I'm sure this isn't going to be the last time that this is going to pop up on our radar. Um, but maybe in a different uh, context it says some coking coal is used to start the, up this thermochemical cycle. But from that point on, you would never need to add any more. Uh, and the system could be easier and cheaper to adopt than um, strategies to decarbonize steel because it repurposes blast furnaces rather than replacing them. So pretty cool idea. Um, I think where we've seen perovskite before is in the solar um, industry. Oh, is it? It's the mineral that's used as an interstitial layer for solar um, energy to flow. It changes the, the photons from, um, well, from photons to um, electricity to ions. I think that's right. I'm not sure. I think I think that's what it is. But we can we'll do some due diligence. Um, now, the next article, and we have the final one that actually gave rise to the title of our article or of our episode tonight. Um, oh, you know what I forgot to do? I forgot to throw this into chat. Wow, this is going to be awesome. And this article in chat, I fell asleep at the wheel because I just got onto my soapbox and started chatting about stuff. And then this article and wow mayor watt you you need to get the ai to input these into the chat um otherwise this stuff will never get done on time anyway uh christopher livingston over at pc gamer uh, wrote this article the star of this driving survival game is your quirky customizable car it's a station wagon which makes me think of um uh, Christmas Vacation, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. It even has the the luggage on top of the car and the wood siding. So I, I don't know if that's actually the impetus for that vehicle, but let's take a look at it. Your station wagon is your best friend as you explore and survive a deadly exclusion, exclusion zone in survival roguelite Pacific Drive. I'm not going to play the audio on this, but um, let's... This is what you're doing in your uh, vehicle, driving through a hostile region, fixing it up, augmenting it, surviving again and again, trying to go through this exclusion zone. Um, and it's roguelite, so when you die, you just lose what you might be carrying in that particular run, and then you augment it with other stuff, and you go further and further into whatever the storyline is. So guess who's going to be getting this? The mayor of hometown. Why? Because it looks like a blast. So I'm just going to pause this right here. <clears throat> you can go over and check it out over at PCGamer.com. It says, but if there's one survival game or uh, if there's one survival game coming this year, that's really captured the writer's 
interest by merging yet another genre. It's Pacific Drive, the driving survival game from Ironwood Studios. And in Pacific Drive, your car is the only companion and you steer it deep into a restricted area of the Pacific Northwest known as the Exclusion Zone, which has fallen into chaos due to bizarre government experiments. They don't mention zombies outright, but I'm pretty sure you're going to run into a zombie or two. So let's see. I I was expecting to see one in the trailer that you were playing. Oh, looks like there's some there. Um, Anyway, it says uh, the world isn't one big open world map, but it's broken into chunks. And when you're done checking out, exploring uh, uh, one portion of the map, you can go to a different one. You return to your garage by finding an anchor, a power source that can open a gateway to teleport you back to your base. And then uh, the cool thing about these gateways is that they don't appear right in front of you, uh, but open up elsewhere on the map. The location is made visible by a giant sky beam in the distance, and then you have to go and hunt it down. And that gets you back to your base. Yeah, this is going to be a blast. Um, pretty cool. So it says here at the very end, unfortunately, we still don't know the release date other than the vague 2023. But in the meantime, the driving survival game now has a page on Steam. Hopefully you can click on it without your doors falling off. That brings me to the money. It wasn't a Monty Python skit about the front of the boat falling off. The AI would not know anything about this. Yeah, in fact, through an error. Okay, so the last article for tonight is uh who wants to go shopping um the title is actually owl who escaped from zoo in new york city's latest avian celebrity it's over at fizz.org i can't believe it um so this is uh an owl that actually the the uh what do they call it the enclosure they don't call it a cage um the enclosure was breached somehow, somewhere by someone. The owl got out and flew to Fifth Avenue because who's going to stop them? Sorry, I had to cough again. Uh, apparently, the owl is a Eurasian eagle owl named Flacco, escaped on February 2nd. Um, the exhibit had been vandalized and the stainless steel mesh cut. Upon notification, a team was mobilized to search for the bird. They should have just pulled up the credit account for the zoo because the owl had flown again to Fifth Avenue and started shopping. Um, Wednesday found Flacco commanding a view of Woolman's Rink ice skaters from an oak tree in the park's uh, Hallett Nature Sanctuary. A small crowd watched from a respectful distance. Quote, I just want to observe how he's doing myself. Retired healthcare worker uh, gig, Palilio, uh, said as she examined the owl through her camera lens, quote, I'm a nurse, so I'm always kind of like, is the eyes still alert? Okay. Um, <clears throat> anyway, yeah, somebody breached the enclosure and the bird got out. And uh, from a distance, the bird was giving everybody the bird. They are the Brad Pitt of Central Park, apparently. Um, Kenny Siwiak. Um, Then they spelled the name differently. 
here and in another place here. So I don't know if it's Quioc, um, but that was the wrong spelling Probably up here. Probably because autocorrect is going crazy with that name. <laughs> yeah. I think he can survive. If you learn how to fly, I guess he can learn how to hunt. Well, you know, animals are, go feral pretty darn quick. It's not like they're <laughs> domesticated animals might have a, a hard time surviving out in the actual wild, um, but they can survive pretty well in a city. Um, owls, they're not domesticated. So you let them out of their enclosure and they're instantly feral and hunting down something. Um, from domesticated animals to small humans, probably. Um, anyway, like the Mandarin duck, the Eurasian eagle owl is not native to North America. This at 10 o'clock. Oh, it's 1030. This is the No Shit News segment. Um, but native owl species, including great horned owls and barred owls, um, do frequent Central Park where they dine on rats, mice, smaller birds, and small humans. That is not included in the article. I just threw that in there. I think we're done for tonight. What say you? Yeah. The, I think uh, so, and I do think the podcast um, people are missing, though, the picture. I mean, it, it has tremendous ear tufts. <laughs> Like oh, yeah, very they, noticeable in the picture. <laughs> you can't see mine, but uh, I have that too. So you have to zoom in closer. Anyway, that has been uh, the hometown daily news show. I ran really long tonight. Um, that's okay. We'll, we'll make up for it in tomorrow's show. It'll only be 30 minutes. <laughs> Probably not. That will never happen. <laughs> Okay, everybody who's in chat, and if you're watching the videos over on YouTube, thank you. You're awesome. Download the podcast. I know that people are downloading the podcast. Nobody's been leaving any feedback, but go leave feedback. I want to hear if you want to do it publicly and, and completely roast uh, the show, then go for it. Um, you know, no news is bad news, right? That's how that works. Or good, good news is, wait. No news is good news with Gary Gnu. I don't know how that works. Anyway, it was an old show, puppet show kind of thing. I should probably just leave. I'm spending too much time in the office in Gnome Town. See you tomorrow, folks. You want to say bye-bye? Good night, Gnome Town citizens, and we'll see you tomorrow. And it's only going to be a 30-minute show tomorrow. You heard it here first. Pick up that can, citizen.